It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon and welcome to the first show of 2020. We're excited to be back after uh, having a, just a, only a, one or two shows during uh, December, kind of wrapping up the uh, wrapping up the year. But we are uh, excited. We've got lots of um, we've got lots of people um, uh, lined up. Some some great guests, and we are super excited uh, to have uh, really some best uh, thought leaders. You know, the show really is designed. For, uh, for anyone who wants to listen in on a great conversation around talent, uh, if you're interested in, in what maybe really talented people are doing, if you're interested in what's happening out there in the world of talent, what are our practitioners, our business owners, our CEOs, our CHROs, what are they thinking about, right? What are they worried about? Uh, what are they trying to do to get a competitive advantage? This show really focuses in on that those ideas and those concepts. And today is no different. We're going to bring in Two wonderful guests to really help me drive that conversation and and begin to kick the year off with uh, really some important information or some important uh, topics that we should be thinking about as we're going in. Uh, If you are listening live, don't forget uh, I'm hosting a Future of Work webinar. You can just look for me on on LinkedIn and find me there, and I'm sure you'll find the post of the webinar or go to my website, chrispdyer.com. Um, you know, one of the, the best things that's come out of this show is those stories that I mentioned. And I put a lot of them in my uh, first book, a bestseller, The Power of Company Culture. I'd love to have you check that out on Amazon or wherever you pick up your books. Um, it's available in paperback, hardcover, and or audible. So um, it, let me know what you think of it. So, you know, Let's go ahead and, and kind of dive in here a little bit, uh, and we'll get to our guests here in just a moment. But as we are live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, uh, most of you actually kind of pop in and get us uh, on a podcast. So on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you pick up your podcast, you find us there. Big thank you to everyone who follows the show, subscribes, uh, you know, and and uh, rates us and gives us feedback. We really appreciate it. But some of the best feedback we get is through our live tweets. And so Sarah, my social media guru, is there on Twitter right now. Uh, and if you follow at people's G2 or that hashtag all one word talent talk, you can see the best quotes, the best one liners showing up there live in Twitter. Even if you go back after the fact and you can add in your own comments, c- continue that conversation. Let us know what you think, or even make suggestions for the show for, and for guests. We really appreciate everyone who does that every week. It is a big help. So as I have mentioned a few times, let's go ahead and talk about who my guests are today. Uh, for the first show of 2020. Uh, first, we're going to be talking to Brandon Moreno, the owner of 
ever higher. And then after the commercial break, we'll bring in John DeJulius, president of the DeJulius Group. Um, like I said, he'll bring we'll bring him in in the second half of the show. But let's go ahead and get to Brandon. Uh, Brandon, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Chris. And it's uh, Everhive, not Everhive, but that's a common mistake. Everhive, there we go. Well, you know, my brain, it's one of those things you think you see what you see. And uh, considering we do a lot of stuff around hiring, that so it wouldn't be a show perfect. if I didn't screw up some name, <laughs> whether it's a person or a company. So we have we've now crossed that threshold. We can we can move on in confidence. So um, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what you're doing uh, at Everhive, uh, and you know, kind of a little bit about your journey. Yeah, so I've uh, been in the HR background, uh, gosh, twenty going on twenty five plus years. We'll put it that way and cap it there. Uh, but I originally started, it's interesting how my journey started in the HR uh, field is I started as a contract worker for an aerospace company um, back in the early 90s. And uh, my journey just kind of evolved into, you know, I could have gone into being a technician for a telephone company or an aircraft mechanic or HR. And it uh, was very interesting how the journey just kind of uh, created itself, uh, you know, and when you saw the opportunity, I just kind of said, hey, teach me how to do that. I'll learn. Um, that's how I got started in HR. I was one of the first uh, true generalists in this aerospace company uh, back in the 90s. And it's interesting now, full circle is, you know, for the last four years, had my own uh, contingent workforce uh, solutions company that has now uh, gone global. So let's kind of dive into maybe leadership and, and and some of the topics that we often cover here. From your perspective, what can leaders and execs do to meet really the current demands of hire? Are we still seeing, you know, a very high, uh, or excuse me, very high employment rate, low unemployment rate, and it's kind of been challenging to find good people. So, what are some of those things you think leaders should be thinking about and doing to really meet those demands? Yeah, it's, um, I just saw a recent report recently that said it was like 1.2% uh, unemployment in like an IT space in one specific area. Um, and that's an, you know, insane if you would think about it. So really what uh, leaders need to be doing in organizations is looking at the entire, what are all possible solutions for engaging uh, the workforce? How do we keep workers longer? How do we engage um, across the spectrum? in terms of not just for full-time employees, but also, you know, looking at uh, the whole gig economy and the freelancers and, and everything that can augment their workforce so that they can meet the challenges, so they can meet the projects uh, that their companies are setting out for. And that's the biggest thing. I think most organizations are only looking at, you know, full-time workers um, and just kind of, you know, thinking about contingent workers as, as a, you know, secondary option, more and more companies today are really kind of seeing that need and how do you kind of make the contingent workers, freelancers more inclusive so that it's not, you know, that they're actually part of the culture that they're, um, you know, they're wanting to stay, they're being redeployed. So really looking at all avenues, whether it be workers that are retiring, how do you redeploy those workers potentially as a contractor, all of those different areas that leaders should be looking at when they're thinking about hiring this, how do we get access to any and all talent that can help us drive our business forward? 
And, you know, a lot of the sort of conversation that's starting to happen more this year is, you know, the ever-changing. For a long time, we were talking about how to even, like, deal with millennials, how to reach millennials, how to change how we operate because of millennials. And really, they've begun to evolve as we all thought they would. They get older and they... Uh, their their needs and perspectives and 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 where they are in life has changed and now there's this new generation right and we're talking about gen gen Zers um, as well uh, so how do leaders kind of keep their focus this year uh, in thinking about what a big part of their you know population of, of employees millennials and their newer population of gen Zs really committed to the employee committed to their job uh, and to keep you know them from from having that kind of I guess, revolving door, right? And keeping people at the company. Yeah, good question. And, you know, what a lot of Gen Z's and millennials really look for is how can an organization help me up level? Um, Because I have a lot to offer an organization. So how can you keep me engaged? Because if you don't keep me engaged, I'm off to the next best opportunity. And so uh, oftentimes uh, what I try to do to tell organizations and their leaders when they're, they're looking at it is if there's a project, keep them project-centric. So, for instance, if you hire them for uh, a finance job, uh, tell them about a project. So, you know, for the next nine months, we have this project, and here's what it's going to do to the organization, and here's what your role will be in that. And then about, say, six months into that, start talking about the next project uh, because they, they chunk it down really into... Uh, project related. So if you start talking in six months about the next project that's going to happen in those three or four months, uh, get them excited for the next year or next nine months um, beyond that, those have been proven to be the most successful because now you're engaging them, you're keeping them uh, understanding how how that next project is going to up-level them, and then you're telling how you're going to utilize them in the organization and how they're going to make a difference. Um, and that by far, you know, then it's three or four years that they're with the organization versus, you know, the, the six to 12 months before they make the next leap that we're seeing in today's market. Um, so that's, that's really the, the key is keep it project-centric and project-focused and start talking about the next project at least three months before that current project is ending. Right, and that way you're getting started and finished. You're getting uh, sort of feedback and recognition on, you know, a specific thing. Uh, and that kind of gets into that philosophy of a tour of duty. I mean, often it's been suggested that you should bring people in for a tour of a specific amount of time, right, to sort of negotiate, hey, we need you to come in here and do this job for the next two years. And then after that, let's, you know, as we get close to that day, let's talk about what the next thing is for you. Maybe you need to move on to the next company or maybe there's a new position for you here. And that sort of thought process has really helped a lot of people engage and maintain and keep their, their millennial employees by having those kind types of conversations instead of this sort of ridiculous mindset of, well, we expect you to be here forever and we're all going to pretend that you're not going to go in anywhere, which we know isn't true. And we'll just wait for you to give your two weeks notice before we ever think about replacing you. Um, and, and so I like that idea of a project because it's bringing in some of those same type of philosophies where you're, you're catching people on, in, in a, a short-term way, but also in a, in a very specific way where they can think about uh, things in a start to finish and, and have new challenges as those things uh, come up due. Um, well, and then also one thing to add to that as well is also 
for organizations to really think about rotational programs, right, and that are also project-specific. More and more I see in, in companies, and some of the, the best workers are the ones that have an opportunity to work, say, in operations and in finance and in marketing, um, because that's that's giving them a holistic view of the organization and just a well-rounded um, opportunity for them to hone in on their skills. And guess what? I'm working with a client now that one of their longest term employees has uh, worked in all of those departments and has been one of the, the best assets to the organization because he can, he understands how to connect the dots. Um, and that's key because and then he gets moved and he's one of the first to say, Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll go help with that project. And so that's another opportunity, you know, companies used to just reserve rotational programs, you know, for, you know, certain levels of folks or different types of positions. But that's really how, if you can expand that rotational program and keep it project focused, uh, you'll, you'll be keeping people a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this really gets back to um, why I love Scrum and Agile so much inside of organizations. And you don't have to be a software company and do it to the, to the extreme that when you're building software, but you can bring in Agile into just projects into you know normal projects that we're doing every day and the reason it's so awesome is that typically in a good team you are bringing people in from different parts of the organization if you're trying to do a project you should not based on the scrum principles have an entire team of people who all do the same thing you should have someone from marketing and someone from customer service and someone from sales and all these different parts of the organization because they bring in different perspectives Um, it allows that cross training it allows this sort of I guess, uh, maturation from all these different parts of the organization and allows people to connect and work and, and, and really thrive and ultimately end up getting a better project, end up getting a better success on whatever it is you're doing because the different departments are talking and working together. And so I, I think uh, if anyone's thinking about how do you make that happen, it sounds great to have cross um, training and all that. I have found it's almost effortless if you're using Agile and Scrum to to do some of your projects to see some of those things happen. Um, don't know if that's if you've had any, any experience with that, the Scrum and the Agile component of it, but um, that that's sort of been our best way to do it. Yep, you're exactly right, and it, and it could be you know I've had some companies say, well we're not set up to be Scrum and, and uh, or Agile type of you know environment. That's just not what we do, and it's like but you're already doing it. You're already having the cross-functional teams. Just expand that. Just kind of make it more, you know, formalized as part of what you do on a regular basis on these different projects. Exactly. Well, companies, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, they often are thinking about uh, reducing their costs, right? They, at the end of the year, and they start looking at their P&Ls a little harder, and they start thinking about maybe things they should cut or change in the, in the new year. Uh, yet they're having to hire a lot more people too, right? They're looking at what their demands are going to be, what their pipelines are, what they expect to do from a growth standpoint. How Would you have some suggestions or some thoughts on how do you do both, right? How do you look at reducing costs at the same time you're looking at maybe adding things on? What, what's the Is there kind of a happy medium there? Yeah, and it's always interesting. You know, folks are, you know, when you're looking at budgets, companies are just thinking ahead. They're starting to think about budgets. So they're, they're kind of wanting to, kind of reserve, but at the same time, they have to grow, right? So kind of going back uh, to one of the first questions of, you know, how do you hire more people in, in this type of economy is really having to look at all situations. 
um, one of the the fastest and easiest way um, companies can save costs, especially on recruiting costs, on uh, just you know overall payroll costs, uh, is when you have your talent acquisition teams asking and kind of built in in their their screening process. You might have a top candidate, um, but your hiring process is long. Or you might have, there were two candidates that were kind of tied and, um, you know, they only had one position. So what we always try to have companies start thinking about is, can you have your TA function also screen for the potential of, does that worker want to be a contractor for the interim um, on, on a project. So for instance, you have two, like I just mentioned, you have two uh, candidates, one got hired as full-time. Ask that other person, hey, we have these other contract positions. Uh, would you be interested in that contract position? Who knows what the opportunity will be like in six months when that, that project ends. Maybe there's another full-time. Um, you're kind of getting known to the organization. And what that does, and then they can payroll that person through a payrolling organization at a lot less uh, expensive cost than a staffing agency would. So you're talking about showing some numbers out, you know, 17%, 18% um, versus, say, 45%. Um, and you have that talent, and you've, you've just filled a position without having to go through an agency. So if you can imagine a lot of those workers, if you do, say, 100 of those a year, you're saving, and, and say you got an average of, you know, just throwing a number out, $50. Uh, a worker. So start adding those up uh, at $50 an hour times, you know, a 30% savings. That's huge. Um, start adding those numbers up. So you're getting the talent, you're getting the jobs done, and you're having cost savings done. Um, another component is, I can't stress this enough, I mean, this is one of the reasons out of all the HR areas that I've been in, and TA, I've ran global TA teams, is the most impactful right now in the HR organizations and TA functions is the contingent workforce. That is the biggest cost to an organization, probably outside of benefits in HR, and it's the biggest opportunity to reduce costs. Companies from, I mean, saving millions of dollars a year by putting the right strategies in place, putting the right resources in place, um, where we find is companies just not wanting to take that initiative. So, you know, the more that you can kind of get involved um, in that process, payrolling absolutely is the first and easiest way to reduce costs, to get those workers, um, and then you can start working out your other uh, contingent piece. But um, I always tell companies, take a look at that. That's probably where you're, you're going to save upwards of millions of dollars a year uh, if you just introduce that one tactic of having your TA teams also screen the workers for potential contract work that you might have at your, your organization. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I look back uh, over the last 10 years as we, we look forward to the next 10, and you know, a lot of things have changed, a lot of uh, the tools and, and processes um, that maybe I was using in my business in uh, 2010 certainly uh, armed here now. I mean, if it, for us, it was 10 years ago, just over 10 years ago that we 
left our traditional uh, brick and mortar company and became a 100% remote company. Um, and we've seen quite a bit of change in with the gig economy and uh, temporary workers. And certainly the government has gotten, uh, you know, and the courts are trying to figure all that out now. And there's, there's a lot going on and probably a lot for us to think about in the next five or, or 10 years about what might change. So what, what are some of the things you're thinking about that we might want to also think about? One of the things that I always tell companies, just take that first step to decide to do something. Uh, most companies just ponder and say, hey, you know, we're going to do that next year. We've got to look at it. You know, it's in our five-year plan. Five years is going to be too late. I mean, there's things coming out that are in the market from blockchain that's going to impact staffing, that's already impacting uh, AI. Uh, but when you, when you start looking at that, when you're talking about just 10 years ago, the next two to five years, just that alone is going to be radical technology differences in the way that we hire people and that how it's impacting talent acquisition. So if you don't get started now, and I, I say this almost with urgency because it's really scary how slow I see some organizations, big organizations that have been around. And when you think about like the Kodaks and the, the, you know, the blockbusters, all those companies that literally were at their heyday and just within a couple of years are no longer in existence, right? Um, it scares me when I see certain organizations just not, not viewing it as an urgency. And, you know, one of the reasons I'm in the business that I'm in is because I want to make sure those companies survive. And it's starting to introduce and get a, a leg ahead because they got to start implementing some of the changes now um, or they're going to be left behind, especially from the hiring front. Like, you know, we could do a whole segment just on, on blockchain alone and how that's, that's going to impact the hiring process in a dramatic way. And it's going to shift the, the industry in a dramatic way, um, which is exciting, but we got to get ready for it. Uh, so that's one, of the, that's one of the components that we're seeing from a technology standpoint. We're seeing continuously, year after year, the, the, the increase in temporary gig workers, contract workers, whatever you call them, the non-employee workforce increasing, rising heavily, because that's how companies are trying to stay flexible. And that's frankly how some of the, the workers just only want to be contracts. They want to move kind of to multiple projects, kind of we were talking about earlier. Uh, so really start embracing some of these technologies that are coming. Start um, taking action now versus just kind of putting it off until the next year. Uh, it's going to be too much. We don't have the bandwidth. We don't have, you know, all of those things. Um, if you don't, you're going to be out of business. Um, I just, you know, say that because there's got to be the changes when you're looking at like, you know, 1.2% or 1.3%, whatever it was, unemployment rate in IT alone. You know, that's, that's significant and that's almost, you know, historic in terms of my time that I've been in the HR and TA space in the last 25 sure. plus years. Well, we're almost out of time here. I want to make sure that we give you an opportunity to let people know how can they get a hold of you if they're interested in finding out more and or working with or even working for uh, Everhive. Yeah, I uh, appreciate that. So go to everhive.com, E-V-E-R-H-I-C-E. Uh, you can check us out there. Uh, you can email me personally at brandon 
at everhive.com. Um, I, ha- I always respond within 24 hours. I don't care who it is. Um, or you can find me on LinkedIn um, at Brandon Marino uh, on LinkedIn. And again, I always respond. Just put a message in and happy to respond. Uh, I believe in returning that, giving that back. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for being our uh, first guest of 2020 uh, and uh, really talking us through some important things that we're all thinking about. And uh, you really brought a lot to the show. And hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us a great update on everything you're doing. Would love that. And uh, Happy New Year to everybody. Thank you. All right, we'll take a quick commercial break, and we'll come right back with my second guest, John DeJulius. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. If you missed my first guest, Brandon Moreno, you can listen to his interview on the podcast. Find it on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. Uh, we will be there, and you can subscribe and hear his uh, show here in the next week or two. But we're going to go ahead and bring in our second guest. Don't forget, you can also go to talenttalkradio.com. That's also a great place to listen to the shows and subscribe. And, of course, we love to have you participating on Twitter. If you're on that platform, at PeopleG2, you can follow. You can also just follow that hashtag, Talent Talk, all one word. And you can hear, or you can not hear, you can read and see all the best one-liners uh, from today's show and let us know what you think. Uh, you can argue with us. You can agree. You can give us uh, whatever thoughts you want. It's the best place to do it. So let's go ahead and bring in my next guest, John DeJulius. He's a president of, you guessed it, the De- the DeJulius Group, and hopefully I'm saying that correctly because I've now said it about 20 times. But, uh, John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Pleasure to be on. And, and I I'm hope I'm saying your last name correctly. You're saying it perfectly. Okay, There's good. No wrong way to say it. It's a little bit of a tongue twister, but uh, I'll just avoid saying it again, so until <laughs> the end. <laughs> but uh, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you're doing, what your company does, uh, to kind of get us up to speed. Yeah, the DeJulius Group is a customer service consulting firm uh, headquartered in Cleveland, Ohio. We work with some of the best companies, brands in the world, like the Ritz-Carlton, Lexus, Nordstrom's, Chick-fil-A, Starbucks, um, Pricewaterhouse. And um, our mission is to change the world by creating a customer service revolution. A customer service revolution. So... What does that What does that really mean, right? I mean, so are we looking at uh, customer service experience? Are we looking at finding? Uh, what does that mean in in your own definition? You know, it, it, we literally have a definition for it, and it's a radical overthrow of conventional business mentality designed to transform what customers and employees experience. 
that, you know, just make you become the brand customers can't live without and ultimately make price irrelevant. So I love that. And one of the things that, uh, you know, we were just talking uh, with Brandon and he mentioned, you know, Kodak and he mentioned uh, Blockbuster as, as in, in some examples. And I, I we didn't have time to get to it, but I, I the first thought of my head was is you know, these companies didn't go out of business just because of technology and change. They went out of business because their customer service or their customer experience was terrible, right? I mean, Netflix and Redbox and all those things showed up because nobody wanted to pay for late fees anymore. I mean, you're getting absolutely killed uh, with late fees and having to drive over there and pick out your movie. And instead, someone came along and solved that problem. And I, I wondered if that problem, uh, if that would have ever happened if they're experience had been better right same thing with if, if a taxi experience hadn't been so absolutely terrible would uber have ever come around so you know a lot of this has to do with how we treat our clients and the and relationships so what are your thoughts around that and maybe you can kind of dive then into what is the relationship economy well I, as you said it there's an uber coming um to every industry uh, probably most of already have it um, but you you can be disrupted or you can be the disruptor. And you don't have to be new to be the disruptor. Um, Apple has found a way to be the disruptor for, you know, over four decades easily. Um, you know, so same thing with Starbucks and, and those great brands. Um, my new book, The Relationship Economy, is just based on that, you know, the, the, the digital uh, revolution is impacting our world. And there's a seismic shift happening today and with all the benefits and convenience technologies brought us it's come at a significant cost and that cost is you know human relationships that are so vital to customer loyalty uh employee satisfaction and, and overall happiness and i like to say today's illiterate are those who have an inability to make meaningful connections with others Ah, and that's important. So, uh, you know, how how do we make meaningful connections with you? How do we? What's sort of the 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 secret sauce just to start that process? Well, the first is every every business, every leader has to realize that technology is not the enemy, um, but using it to eliminate the human experience is. And we have to find ways to marry the digital with the human and use technology to perform basic tasks enabling the employees to focus on what's most important, which is building relationships that result in higher customer loyalty, retention, lifetime value, and job satisfaction. Um, we also have to create relationships with our, with our own people. Um, you know, the, 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 as you know, the, the turnover rates at an all-time high, there's more uh, um, jobs available than people looking. And, you know, too many leaders and companies throw that up to the millennial generation. And, and that's not it. That's poor cultures. Um, millennials are the best workforce if you understand that their purpose is currency. And if you create a purpose around it, they'll work harder than, than previous generations. And then the last thing is you have to understand that, that, you know, every generation is affected today, you know, from baby boomers uh, all the way down. And we all have less social skills and so companies, the best companies out there have great relationship building training for new and existing employees because it's not common sense. It's not, you know, what, what's taken us decades to curate, um, you know, can't be microwaved overnight to the new generations. So is this going to be, uh, you know, I guess what you're sort of talking about, about having those great relationships and keeping that going as technology changes 
well, some of these technological advances need to come from business to, to really inevitably change our lives, or, or do you see that differently? Well, no, I mean, they're already here, right? I mean, you know, by, by uh, uh, 2025, you know, there'll be more machines in the workforce than humans. Um, artificial intelligence is already uh, doing everything from nurses to doctors, lawyers to judges. Um, there's even, I just heard this, and I'm not, I'm not endorsing or judging, but there's even um, artificial intelligent um, sex bots, uh, uh, what I forget, brothels. I mean, it's, 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 you know, it has infiltrated every part of our business. Uh, but the pendulum is swinging too far over to high-tech, no-touch, and the best brands, you know, keep a balance. Right, absolutely, and 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 I think that balance is tough, right? So, where, what's too much? What's not enough? And how do you do it well? Uh, and I think if you're not Apple, you're not some large company who who has focused on this on a very very high level. I think sometimes the average company might struggle a little bit, you, you know. So, is there a, a good starting place for the average size company? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, you know, take advantage of artificial intelligence and, and use it for, you know, online booking and, 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 and things that I really don't want to call up and, and, and wait three minutes and, you know, talk to someone where I can do it in 30 seconds on your website. But don't force me to self-service. Um, there's a wireless company in Canada, the biggest wireless company in Canada, that actually penalizes their customers if they call in and they charge you $10 if you want to speak to support or talk about your statement, I mean, that's, that's taking it too far. So sometimes, you know, people just get, you know, companies go too far with that. And, you know, the, the key is, is, is building relationships and teaching your employees what may seem like common sense to previous generations aren't. And, you know, they, they don't have the inherent people skills. So one of our best tactics is, is, you know, we're, we're all, um, um, genetically coded to be preoccupied with our world, right? It's my flight that was delayed. It's my son that's struggling in school. It's my customer that's mad at us. But when we come in contact with other people, whether it be an acquaintance, friend, customer, coworker, whatever that is, we have to focus on them. So what we, we teach is, is, is every time you come in contact with someone, be it for three minutes or, or 30 minutes, focus on their Ford, as in the car, F-O-R-D. And if you can focus on their Ford, you not only build a relationship, you own the relationship because to each and every person, their Ford is their hot button. So family, F, family, you know, are they married? Do they have kids? How old are their kids? O stands for occupation, right? What do they do? What's their title? Who do they do it for? How long they've been doing it? R, recreation. What does he or she do with their free time? You know, are they runners? They exercise, yoga, um, coach little league. And then the D stands for dreams, right? What's on their bucket list? What's their dream vacation? What's their encore career that they're looking to, to do next? Well, that's a great way to connect. I mean, that's sort of a sales 101, but not everyone is a salesperson. So it's a good reminder on, on how to connect and the things to think about is those are tend to be the, you're kind of covering a good 80% of, of most people's daily lives and the things they're thinking about and doing. Um, well, you know, one of, it from a transaction to an interaction. Right. Well, and, and, and one of those things, and one I wanted to ask you about was this, uh, that I know you referenced this concept of the touchscreen age. 
Uh, and maybe you can explain what that means. But the reason I thought of it was, you know, as you mentioned, all those things that we're interested in, that we're going to connect with people, it seems to be becoming harder and harder to have those interactions with them where it's not over some device, when we're not seeing their Ford uh, through some, uh, you know, an app or, or social media platform, as opposed to uh, in an in interpersonal way. So what, what is the touchscreen age? And, and can you explain that to us? Yeah, I mean, the touchscreen age is not generational specific. We're all being affected. We're all on devices, right? And, and we love to beat up on millennials and Gen Zs. But, you know, the truth is you have grandparents on, on social media and we're all our, our, our people skills um, are declining. And as a result, um, you know, we, we are relationship disadvantaged and at no fault, especially of the younger generation. Um, you know, more than 40% of uh, employees report to a leader younger than them who don't have that emotional capital that the older generation. And, you know, every generation is, is, is um, reporting that they're lonelier than ever, that they have less people skills, um, a lack of social relationships, which all generations are suffering from. Doctors have said is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. The health benefits or side effects is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So it's all these things that, you know, and we, we can make no mistake about it, the lack of social skills our society has is the problem of business leaders to solve. We can't skip this generation. We have to, you know, train. We have to try to hire um, for people that have it, but but majority won't. They won't have the service aptitude and people skills. And therefore, we have to take it upon ourselves as business leaders to train those things that, you know, was, was once, you know, common sense um, is no longer. So I, I know you mentioned, uh, and I enjoyed kind of reading some of this about your, the mental stimulus, uh, stimulation addiction, MSA, which is sort of burying our devices versus, versus when we're just chilling, right? When we're just relaxing uh, and kind of having this constant need to, to have stimulation uh, that our devices have sort of trained us to or given us this uh, desire to want to have all the time. Uh, and I certainly I think we all kind of struggle with this at, at some level. Do you think that that impacts what you were just talking about? Is it does it where does it sort of play into this the spectrum of how we connect with people and how we work with uh, better with those people we are working with? Well, I mean, they 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 are reporting that we're having a creativity and an innovation crisis, and it's because our brains are atrophying. And I'm as guilty as anyone, and I'm sure Chris this. What I'm going to describe, you, you've probably been guilty of a time or two, but I'll be sitting in a doctor's office, right, waiting to be called, and I'll pick up my phone and I'll check, you know, text and email and, you know, all my social media apps and ESPN and headline news. I'll put it down, and without thinking about it, less than 30 seconds later, I will pick it up and go through the exact same sites. Like, what could it change in 30 seconds, but it's just, you know, and so we're outsourcing our brains to, you know, devices, and that's why it's atrophying. And they say, you know, we, we don't daydream, we aren't bored, and that's when the creativity, I mean, we've all heard, you get your best ideas in the shower. Well, we're not taking enough showers, and, you know, if you're not a, a meditator or whatever those things are, you know, you, 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 you have to create a relationship with yourself first and make sure you're putting yourself in situations just to daydream. Um, you know, boredom always leads to brilliance, and we don't allow ourselves to become bored anymore. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't tell you how many times when I've, I've had some great ideas, like you said, in the shower or if I'm playing guitar or doing something where I'm not looking at my phone. Uh, I used to go um, on vacation in Europe because, like, my cell phone wouldn't work there uh, unless I wanted to pay a gazillion dollars for it to work. And, of course, now it works just fine. I don't have to pay anything. Um, and I've lost that. But, I mean, I used to just be able to kind of get away from it and be able to have that time to think and uh, you know, we've often uh, tempted to go places where the cell coverage is terrible. There is no Wi-Fi. Um, it's it's really amazing how when your brain has other things to do. I, I don't know if you've ever done this. I've we, we begun challenging our friends when we think of something and someone goes to Google it. We say, stop. Let's all try to remember what that thing is or figure that thing out before we go look. Instead of just immediately Googling it and getting the answer, it's sort of this practice. It's almost like uh, intentional uh, exercise of our brain to try to figure it out. Well, but you're also in the book, you know, I talk about Google's a conversation killer. Just for the point you said, we might be talking about, you know, the 75 World Series. You might say, you know, who, who won that? And without thinking, we'll Google it, which stifles any other thought versus, like you said, is that the, you know, era where, you know, the big red machine or the Oakland A, and then which would take us in many directions and have great conversations but because we Google everything, who won the Oscar for and, and what year, it just, you know, it, it eliminates any further discussion, which is really where the, the you know, the magic happens. Yeah. yeah. And we've, at least when we've done this, it allows us to kind of have both, right? We're going to look it up eventually. We want to make sure we have the right answer. We've been sort of, I guess, trained to, to make sure we're accurate. Um, but at least we attempt uh, to have that uh that exercise for a little bit. Um, I, I know I enjoyed uh, your your conversation, nevers and always, and maybe this this was one of them. But uh, the list that you have, can, can you share some of those and 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 how that works? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and this is very painful uh, going through this research because you know I just really realized you know how many things I do wrong. So you know some of the the you know first is if, if you ask a question and don't ask two to three follow-up questions, odds are you weren't listening. And so there should be like a four to one ratio of questions you ask versus answered. Um, you know don't defend your ideas, explore new ones. Um, some of my uh, you know and a myth, a myth that they say is you know that that I, you know I was guilty of thinking is that um, a good listener is being a sponge, right? Just, you know, keeping quiet and occasionally saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, like, you know, that you're paying attention. And they say that's not being a good listener. A good listener is being a trampoline where you're amplifying their energy, asking more questions to gain height on the conversation. Um, you know, obviously never multitask. Uh, never ask a question because you're dying to answer it. Never finish the other person's sentences which I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of. Um, one that I'm really guilty of, and it was, it was for good intentions, but it says never steal their thunder. And what I mean by good intentions is, you know, let's say I have an employee that was on vacation last week, and I see her, and I say, hey, you know, what would you do for vacation? She's, oh, me and my, my husband and our five-year-old, we went to Disney, you know, for the first time. And to, you know, thinking that I'm showing that, you know, we have, you know, something in common, I might say, oh, you know, you know, God, we have, you know, we have a, a condo in Disney or Orlando, right? And that just stole our thunder because what could that person who is excited to tell you about our trip to Disney now tell someone that, you know, goes there all the time? 
So little things like that, some some conversations always, you know, it sounds obvious, but remove, you know, any distraction. Um, one good technique I've, I've picked up is, you know, whether it be my son, one of my sons, or an employee that comes into my office and says, do you have five minutes? Um, I literally do this. Um, I, I take my phone out of my pocket, which is counterintuitive, right? It's like, what are you doing? I say, hold on, Chris, let me turn this off. I turn my phone off and put it in my drawer, really showing that, you know, whatever you have is, is important to me. Um, listen with your eyes. Uh, you know, that, that, that is, a, that is a, a really good one. You know, asking the clarifying questions, saying, tell me more. Can you give me an example? What does that look like? You know, always be in learning mode. Um, some other final ones here is, uh, you know, just make the person the centerpiece, uh, collect the Ford and document it for future use and, and commit to a follow-up when called for, right? You know, I'll let you know within, within, you know, by the end of this week, whatever that may look like. Oh, those are all great. And I, and I also remember uh, seeing uh, that you wrote about uh, energy givers and energy suckers. So I, I was hoping you could elaborate on that because, you know, I've seen some different types of ways to categorize. I mean, Adam Grant has done, you know, his book, Give and Take, where there's, you know, there's takers, there's givers and matchers. And that, that certainly helped in avoiding some of those people that might take from you. Uh, how, how do you define energy givers and energy suckers? And I'm kind of looking at it as, as myself, right? Like, am I, you know, being an energy giver or sucker? Uh -huh. And, you know, Mark Moses, an author, uh, call, you know, says, are you a CEO? And what he means by that is, are you, are you the chief energizing officer? And obviously that could be anyone and, and all of us. And, you know, I really like that thinking about that. And, and Mel Robbins, another great speaker and author, I love what she says. She says, your energy introduces you long before you ever say a word, right? And, and, and that is so true. So, you know, some examples of, of energy, um, you know, givers, you know, they just raise the confidence of everyone they come in contact with. Uh, they're constantly showing gratitude and thanks. They're giving everyone else the credit. They believe in others. They're there for others when people struggle or going through bad times. They're other people's biggest cheerleaders. They find out what others' goals are and they help them achieve it. Um, the walk through a fire, uh, you know, for those um, around them, you know, and, and so just constantly looking. I, I have a, uh, um, I call it a carpe momento statement, you know, seize the moment. And, you know, something I've tried to always, you know, remind myself and advertise myself. And, you know, about seven, eight years ago, I, I created it and it was to, you know, it, 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 it initially it was to create a, an energizing moment. And, you know, I always wanted to be cognizant of it. But to be honest, that is, is table stake for me. I, I bring a lot of energy. Um, I had to change it because no matter what, wherever I walk into a room, when I walk to work, come into to contact with my employees, I create an energizing moment. But it's not always a positive energizing moment. I can come in there and ruin the morale uh, really quickly. So I, I, I had to add a word you know, to create a positive energizing moment, to be more intentional, to remember that, you know, something I say, you know, or a way I say it can, you know, just crush someone. And, you know, those, so, so that's, that's my car, carpe momento statement. Well, it's fantastic. And I, I know that you also uh, have two favorite words and those are give more. Can you maybe elaborate on, on why those are your, your two favorite words and how do you put that into, into practice every day? Yeah, I, you know, I wish I could get those two words tattooed on my forehead if it wouldn't look so silly. Uh, but, uh, 
um, you know, I think to build long-term sustainable relationships in all areas of your life, we have to give more. And, and I just think we live in a very cynical society today. And the deal is our agreement says um, that you have to do A, B, and C, and I'm, I, I, I'm expected to, to, to do X, Y, and Z. Um, but too often, people wait. They make sure the other person does what they say. And then they do what they're supposed to. And so what I try to teach myself, my three boys, my employees, my clients, is, is, is do yours first. Do X, Y, and Z, and throw in W, even though they weren't expecting W, even though W wasn't part of the agreement. Give them more than they're expecting. Um, don't wait. Don't keep score. And don't have a good memory, right? Meaning, you know, don't remember three years ago when someone didn't do. Don't let that ruin it. Um, and, and that's as simple as if you borrow someone's pickup truck to move furniture, uh, give them that pickup truck cleaner and with more gas and then they gave it to you. Well, I love it. That's fantastic. So, um, you know, John, how can people, uh, get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about you, uh, your works, uh, your company, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, thedejuliusgroup.com, thedejuliusgroup.com. D-I-J-U-L-I-U-S. They can also email me, John, at the thedjuliusgroup.com. I won't make you say my last name. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. We really learned a lot, got to dive into a lot of cool places. Uh, hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool things that you're doing. I would love to, Chris. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to uh, today's show. Hopefully you've gained something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Our next live show will be uh, next week, and we'll bring in our guests, uh, Derek Waters and Ted Malley. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.